Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast coming to you from Montecito, California. Before we begin today, I do want to remind you that there is a website associated with this podcast that airs. Obviously, this podcast is both video and audio. I bet some of you didn't even know that. I bet you some of you have been listening on audio thinking that there is no video, but there is video too. It's on YouTube and that kind of thing. Not that it makes a difference. I mean, you just stare at me kind of talking to people and that kind of thing. But um, but there is also a website and that website is wealthformula.com. Wealthformula.com is where you go if you want to get all the associated resources, sign up for some of the lists and goodies that we have associated with Wealth Formula brand, including an opportunity to sign up for our accredited investor club if you are an accredited investor and you know other various webinars and things like that that you can download there as well today uh, I want to talk to you about a, a you know a changing your thinking a little bit right let me uh, let me just pretend for a moment or let's pretend for a moment that you uh, are an alien from another planet visiting earth you got stuck here and had to figure out how to get by and you know, you would quickly realize, first and foremost, that you'd need some money. And that would probably, in the quickest possible way to make that money, would be to get a job. But now the good news is you're extraordinarily intelligent. You know, you're not an earthling. Uh, you have an above uh, average IQ. And in fact, uh, that IQ may land you a high paying technical gig with like a, you know, Google or Facebook or something like that. And then you might. I actually really enjoy that job at first because, you know, you're manipulating data and, you know, stealing data from people and that's kind of cool. But then after a while, the long hours and, you know, stale routine might start getting on your nerves a little bit. You might start realizing that the only eventual way out of the rat race would be to figure out how to put all that extra money from your paycheck, you know, from your high paying tech job into something that's going to help it grow, i.e. investing it, right? Now, here's a question. If you were an alien from outer space, would your immediate thought at that point about how am I going to grow this money, how am I going to invest it, would it immediately be, well, I think I ought to hire an investment advisor or somebody, you know, who's an RIA or something like that, uh, and, it, and so that that, you know, investment advisor could then uh, invest that money into a balanced portfolio of stocks, bonds and mutual funds for a low fee, of course. Probably not. Probably not. 
it sounds so complicated, right? It's so complicated. Why would you? Why would that even cross your mind? As a highly intelligent life form, you would probably realize that you know, even when you realize what all these things were, hey, that that may not be the most efficient way uh, to get me retired, and you know, uh, just so I could be a retired alien, you know, and so. You would be unadulterated by conventional wisdom because you're an alien and alien and your attention would then probably go to things that made a lot more sense for you. Like, hey, maybe I should look at some tax advantage real estate. I mean, after all, I uh, am uh, a legal alien so I, and I am paying taxes, uh, so I need to mitigate that. You might also look for other sources of, you know, income, buying income sources and all that kind of stuff. Well, okay, so the point I'm trying to make here, and I'm sure you enjoyed my moment of of science fiction, is that, you know, it's not a bad idea once in a while to question conventional wisdom. And if you've you've taken my course, uh, Roadmap to Real Wealth, um, that's at wealthformularoadmap.com, by the way, uh, you know I have a section on this. The idea about conventional wisdom... uh, you know, not always being the path to take. And why? Because unfortunately, conventional wisdom is often tainted by special interests. You know, there's an example of the sugar industry hiding the fact, you know, I think it was in the 40s or 50s, uh, that, you know, that that uh, sugar was in fact a major player in cardiac disease, which we know now. But we didn't for so long. I mean, shoot, remember that food pyramid? You know, pizza was like the healthiest food you could possibly eat, according to the food pyramid. And then conventional wisdom at other times can just be completely wrong. You know, the world, in fact, is not flat, right? Anyway, approaching personal finance, entrepreneurship, even the way that you live your life on a, on a daily basis can really be enhanced with a fresh perspective, with, you know, without the fear of violating societal norms and conventional wisdom. In fact, it can be very healthy, and it can be potentially even a, a lucrative thing. I mean, look at me. I mean, conventional wisdom, I'm a guy used to be a surgeon, right? Spent like all these years training and was making six figures, mid-six figures, and then I just, you know, I became, I just went my own way, became an entrepreneur, and hey, it worked out for me. But that definitely was not conventional wisdom, right? That was a very risky play, but anyway, uh, listen, in my guest on Wealth Formula podcast this week, he, he reminds us of this entire concept. And he even suggests that it may, if you do this successfully, may turn you on to your inner entrepreneur, which I didn't really think that everybody had, but he, you know, he does. And so I want you to hear his point and hopefully... For those of you who want it to happen, it'll turn on your inner entrepreneur and take you to the next level. So when we come back, the author of Alien Thinking, The Unconventional Path to Breakthrough Ideas, Michael Wade. What do the Rothschilds, the Romneys, and the billionaire hedge fund managers know that you don't about growing and protecting wealth? As you might imagine, the wealthy have a few tricks up their sleeves. One strategy allows you to grow wealth tax-free at a compounding rate with no volatility. It protects your money from creditors and lawsuits, 
and it lets you invest the same money in two different places at the same time. How about that for amplifying wealth? To learn more, go to wealthformulabanking.com. Again, that's wealthformulabanking.com. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder the stuff is so profitable and recession resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast is Michael Wade, who is a professor of innovation and strategy at IMD and directs IMD's Global Center for Digital Business Transformation. He also helps individuals and organizations respond to the opportunities and threats of digital disruption. In addition, he is the author of Alien Thinking, the unconventional path to breakthrough ideas. Michael, welcome to Wealth Formula Podcast. Thank you, Buck. It's a great pleasure to be here. Thank you. You know, uh, it's funny because, you know, this book, The Unconventional Path to Breakthrough and Ideas, I think the the thesis to even start before you begin with the content of the book is an interesting one. And I wonder if you'd comment on that. I'm an entrepreneur. I think that, you know, I happen to go to medical school and I happen to do all these things and I discovered late in life you know what? I really like solving problems and I'm really good at finding opportunities and all these things. And when people ask me about entrepreneurship, I say to them, I was born this way. I, I, I'm, it's not a choice. And your book seems to suggest there might be some choice and development in this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would have to, um, disagree with what you yeah. just said okay. you know based based on the evidence entrepreneurship is a learned behavior that that anybody any of your listeners if they want to be entrepreneurs they can become entrepreneurs right mm-hmm. the, the the barrier is um you know the right attitude the right training the right help when you need it uh, skills and behaviors you pick up along the way. But, you know, the science suggests this is not something you're just born with or you're not, mm-hmm. right? The, it, it's, a, it's a learned behavior. And, and, and the great entrepreneurs are no different than the rest of us in many ways. I'm curious about the science you just mentioned. And again, I'm glad to hear this and I am not pushing back at all. I just, it's my, you know, my, I've always, you know, with my own thinking patterns, pretty much just understood that this was something that, you know, my dad has the same, you know, my dad is an entrepreneur and I didn't start out an entrepreneur. I started down this pathway and it ended up veering in that direction. So, so, but so let's, what, what is that science that you're talking about? Tell me about, about the science. Well, there's plenty of sciences that uh, you know, studies that have looked at entrepreneurs and tried to divine some kind of common themes, right? You know, are they um, taller than the average person or are they, you know, one of the, the most common factors to look for in entrepreneurs is are, are entrepreneurs more risk-taking 
than normal people? Do they take more risks mm-hmm. than regular people, right? I mean, you hear these stories about mortgaging the houses and, and, and all this, and uh, there's no data to suggest that's the case. In fact, most successful entrepreneurs are not particularly big risk takers. They, they, they bound their risk like a, like a, like a professional gambler, you know, they'll set up an amount that they're prepared to lose and they won't go on after that, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, So there's all kinds of interesting insights that, that, that you get when you look at, you look at entrepreneurs, you know, they're, they're very good connectors typically, Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're very good at making connections and, and, and not, falling in love with their ideas too early or too strongly. That's another common mistake, right? Entrepreneurs stick too long with their ideas, even when they're getting feedback to suggest they're not very good. So they're kind of, you know, they're flexible. They're, uh, they're, they're people, people in, in the, they're, they're not sitting in a basement somewhere, just coming up with something they're testing and they're not particularly big risk takers. How can you, uh, again, understanding that um, when I think about, you know, the business ideas that I've had in the businesses I've started uh, over the past decade, a lot of it comes down to, you know, having exposure to a lot of different things, a lot of different paradigms, things that are completely unrelated, drawing parallels and seeing inefficiencies. How can somebody who doesn't do that necessarily naturally how does an investor say or an entrepreneur who's looking for an opportunity best position themselves to recognize uh, those new opportunities a lot of people for a lot of people that's just a muscle that that they don't exercise very much right and one of the things we talk about in the book is you know training yourself in a way to pay attention to the world around you and after a while, you know, we just don't do that very well. We sort of look and, and we see the same things. And, and, and after a while, we don't see them anymore. So the opportunities that you're talking about are maybe right in front of us, but we don't see them because we're no longer paying attention to them. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's and, and really strong entrepreneurs are, are, are good at this. They're, they question things. And, and I imagine, Buffett, you do this too, right? You question things like, you know, we just assume this is the way it is, but really does it have to be that way? Right. We, we talk right. about in the book of, of what's the opposite of deja vu, right? You know, you know right. this idea of deja vu where, yeah. you, where you see something, you think, I've seen that before, right? right? I've seen that before. The opposite of that is looking at something that you see every day, but seeing it as if you're seeing yeah. it for the first time. And this is kind of a, a, a skill that can be, that can be fine tuned. And that's when you see those kind of hidden opportunities. When I think about, you know, and I talk about this a fair amount. I've talked about this a fair amount on the show, but I think that a lot of my one of, a lot of my colleagues who are highly successful professionals, I feel like one of the biggest limiting factors in their own ability to develop that muscle, as you say, is actually previous success, and you know, an abundant amount of success in the academic system that constantly perpetuates this cycle of okay, there's what we want you to learn. You learn it, you perform, without going out of bounds. Um, and when I think about that, you know, for business or, you know, with, with investing, for example, uh, which, you know, I've been lucky to have a, a fair amount of success with, there's a significant danger with that notion of sticking with what is uh, conventional wisdom or what works. Is that fair? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're, we're prisoners of our assumptions 
even if we don't know what they are, right? Uh, and that's the worst case. And we don't realize the assumptions that, that, that we have and that we follow. And yeah, absolutely. Breaking out of, of that prison is, is a very, very strong te- step towards innovation, creativity, and entrepreneurship. Uh, there's no question about that. How do you do that? I mean, how do you do that? If you're, I mean, if you're making, you know, a comfortable living and, but you feel like you need, you know, you want something, you just know that there's something else. How do you train yourself to think differently? And maybe that's what alien thinking is, is, is all about. Maybe that would be a good time to break that. That's it. That is what alien thinking is all about. And there's a, there's a couple of reasons we chose that kind of a strange title, right? For a book. Uh, There's a couple of reasons we we chose that title. And, And one of them is the metaphor itself of an alien, right? Because the thing about an alien is, you know, um, they're coming down to earth and they're seeing everything with fresh eyes. And this is just what we're talked about, right? So how do you see the world with fresh eyes? Well, you imagine what it's like to be an alien and that's what it's like. You know, you're suddenly seeing everything afresh, you know, it's like when you go on holidays, you know, uh, at a new place, you, your smells are a little bit stronger, your hearing is a little bit better, you're seeing things a little clearly, it's all new, your senses are heightened. And this is kind of the idea of how do we become like, like an alien? Now, you know, you look at movies and, it just usually doesn't end well for aliens. It's not easy to be an alien, right? They often get shot down. Yeah. And, and that's true also of, of, of entrepreneurs and innovators. They often get shot down too. Uh, so the book is around, you know, not only about how you come up with that great idea, but also how you take that idea and you drive it through into kind of some kind of breakthrough solution. So the other reason we chose alien, because actually it's an acronym and the first letter of each letter in alien or the, all the letters in alien stand for kind of a step that you can follow in order to come up with these great ideas and transform them into breakthrough solutions. Well, don't keep us in suspense. What are those? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. What are those words? Just so we have a general outline. I can, I can, I can walk through that. And, and, um, and so a, we've already, kind of talked about this already, Buck, is, is attention, right? Is paying attention to the world around you. Yeah. And, and, and you ask how to do that. So there's different trick tips and tricks that you can use, right? Uh, to do that. Like you can zoom in, right? On something. So you're looking at something a lot more closely than you typically do, right? So, so you're seeing it in a different light. You can zoom out so you can kind of see the, the big picture a little more. You can switch focus. And this is kind of a a trick mm-hmm. you can use, right? You can think, you know, what would what would the world be like if if you were blind or deaf mm-hmm. or a child or a foreigner coming in, you know? And and so you try and force yourself into these different perspectives and try and gain that kind of new insight. So so attention is all about getting these new insights and finding these uh, patterns that that didn't exist before. And, and today, with the digital tools and technologies available to us. I mean, this is easier than ever, right? Before, if you wanted to study a tribe, you'd have to go and, you know, live five years in Papua New Guinea or whatever, like Margaret Mead did. But now you just go to subreddits, you know, you, you, you go to, you go to track some Reddit communities or WhatsApp or LinkedIn, yeah. and you can find out a lot of insights from a lot of different places. Sensors, IOT, there's all kinds of ways that we can pay attention to the world around us now which is much more than we, than we could in the past. What's L? L is an intro. You're going to like L. L is 
levitation, nice. right? So levitation. Levitation is counterintuitive in a way because it's stepping back, right? And what we find, and the science supports this pretty strongly, is that a brain at rest, so, you know, when we say at rest, what I mean is not involved in a, in a heavy cognitive activity, is actually working as hard as a brain which is busy doing something. The problem is today, we just don't give our brains enough time to disengage, to levitate, to take time out. You know, professional athletes, they take time outs, right? Amateurs don't. So it's, it's forcing ourselves to, to reflect, to step back, to think and reflect. And when we do that, we give ourselves the, the kind of the, 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 the gift of time to do that. We often come up with really, really interesting ideas. And, and there's no, you know, it shouldn't be surprising that some of our best ideas we come up with in the shower. Oh, I was just about when to say that. I was just Exactly right. I mean, you're busy, but your brain isn't. So your brain can kind of work away. And all those ideas that you were talking about earlier or in the car or exercising, you know, we just don't, especially in a digital world, COVID's made this worse, right? Yeah. We don't give ourselves, we don't block enough time in our agenda just to think and reflect. Okay. I'm going to keep going. I, so, okay, A, you're paying attention to the world. I, you're giving yourself time to reflect, right? Uh, uh-huh. Einstein said that the creativity is the residue of time wasted, right? Uh-huh. I is imagination, right? Is trying to come up with new ideas, new thoughts, putting strange things together and seeing, and seeing what comes out of it. And for many of us, we've lost the ability to be imaginative. Our imagination is kind of, you know, real life has beat it out of us. Yeah. You were talking earlier about people in these jobs and, you know, they're just nine to five or whatever. And you don't really have time and space anymore to be, be imaginative. And when I said it's it's been beaten out of us, it means it was in us, right? And we yeah. know that because all kids are imaginative, right? I mean, you're a kid, you have a very active imagination. You're playful, right? And, and we don't play enough anymore. We're just so serious. Our lives are so serious. And it's very difficult to be imaginative if you're being serious. So it's, you know, we suggest, you know, do something goofy, right? Play. Uh, You know, don't don't feel like you shouldn't be doing that just because you're 40 or 50 or whatever. You can still be goofy. And when when you're like that, often you come up with really, really creative things. E. Experimentation. Uh Uh-huh. Right? Got a test. Right. Your, your first idea is not going to be your best idea. No question. Right. I'm sure you found that in your career, too. Right. You have a great idea. I changed the world yeah, with yeah. this. And then you realize, yeah, actually, but there's a seed of something in there. So you test and you flex and, and, and whatnot. And the way experimentation is done by many people and many organizations is not very effective, to be honest. You know, it's either like the scientific method, which is, you know, very much you you try to prove or disprove something, right? You're rejecting the null hypothesis. It's very much extreme. Whereas if you really want to be creative and innovative, experimentation is to, the goal is to improve, not to prove something, right? So it's a constant series of tests and retests, you know, learning as you go along to try and take that idea and make it something a lot better than it was at the start. Yeah, and and I guess and that's also part of the whole issue of uh, not necessarily being worried that there's a failure or 
that it's not the right idea, right? And that's one of the things I feel like keeps people from from even starting is the fear that, you know, what's the point? It might, it's probably not going to work anyway. And then what's the last N? So, so I agree with you, right? The fear of failure yeah. is a big walker for people that don't want to start. Or like you said, they have the good job and, you know, they're just paying off the mortgage and they don't want to get a lot of risk. So fear of failure, risk aversion is, is, is a big issue. But also the opposite is, is not good either. Right. Right. If you have no fear of failure, you jump into it without really a lot of reflection or a lot of humility or a lot of doubt. You know, doubt is not a bad thing. Right? It's, it's your mind telling you, mm, maybe I should think this through. Right. So so there, there's kind of a sweet spot in the middle. You don't want to be overconfident either. So it's it's, it's a danger being too, having too little or too much of any of that. Now, the N is an important one. And the N is navigation. This is where you have a great idea, you played with it, you've tinkered with it, you think it's ready, and then you go out there and share it, but you don't do it in a very clever way, right? So it's stakeholder management, it's understanding people's realities, people's motivations, it's politics. You know, we talk in the book about, you know, this great story of the guy who invented the digital camera, it's a well-known story, right? And, and he worked for Kodak, we know that, mm-hmm. right? A guy named Steve Sasson, and, and the blame is often put on Kodak. Right. I mean, they were stupid not listen to this guy. But it also comes out when you actually talk to the guy that he made mistakes, too. Right. In how he was navigating this idea within the company. Mm-hmm. For example, he sold it internally as filmless photography. Those are the words he used. Filmless photography. Yeah. Those are not great words to use when you're trying to, you know, when, when you're pitching the idea to a company that sells film. Right? Yeah. That's how they make their money. So a little bit of understanding of the environment to navigate and when the right time to kind of come up to avoid getting shot down is really, really important. So there's all kinds of ways that you can increase the odds of people buying into your idea. That's navigation. Do you actually um, do any kind of uh, events for people on this type of thing? Cause it just seems like it's a, a really type, you know, something you really have to drill down on, or is this a, you know, right now it's a, do you feel like the book is uh, adequate for people to change their mindset? You know, we put everything we think you need in the book to get started. Now the book is coming. There's three of us who wrote this book. You know, we're all professors. We've all been teaching innovation for years and years and years. We've all been disappointed with a lot of the existing methodologies, you know, uh, we don't see the, the 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 real outcome that we hope from design thinking and lean startup. Yeah. I mean, these are all good, but somehow, you know, we'd expect with all these methodologies out there, there'd be a lot more innovation, and there just isn't. Yeah. So we wanted to create something that was just really simple and intuitive. You don't need post-it notes. You don't need whiteboards. You know, you don't need a strong, well-defined methodology. It's just there. You just got to understand how to, how to use it. So yeah, I mean, we run all kinds of workshops yeah. and things around it, but everything you need is in the book. Yeah. It's, it's really about a change in perspective, which I think is sometimes really what people need to have. Right. And, and again, you're emphasizing with the word alien there, which I think is a good one because even in the investing world, you know, I've, I've actually used the metaphor before that obviously my, well, not obvious to you, but for my audience, uh, my, you know, my focus is in real assets, you know, real estate, things like that, tangible mm-hmm. assets. And I always say to people, even, you know, open your eyes and think if you're 
uh, I've used this analogy. If you're an alien, you came down and you're trying to figure out, you know, okay, you, you earn your money by doing something and then you're trying to invest it. What would you do? And you know, your natural inclination wouldn't go directly to stocks, bonds, and mutual funds, right? It might be, it might be something different. So it's a, it's really a matter of perspective and uh, also just changing your perspective on, you know, really what you do every day as well. Not just, uh, not just your investing per se. Right. And, and I think the, what we talk about in the book is, is for anyone, you know, we're business school professors, but you know, the alien thinking approach is not just for business people either. I mean, it's for people in any walk of life that right. that want to be more innovative and want to be more creative and want to squeeze more out of the ideas, yep. have more ideas and then get more value out of those ideas. Well, this is a uh, great stuff here. I appreciate it, Michael. And uh, the book again is called alien thinking, the unconventional path, to breakthrough ideas, and uh, you've now convinced me that it's not uh, entrepreneurship is not a hereditary thing. <laughs> it might be a curse for some of us who are more pe- tend towards that direction, but it's uh, probably not just genetic. Um, thank you very much for being on the show. And, and by the way, the book you can get anywhere, Amazon, or is it is specific places? Anywhere, anywhere, anywhere you buy your books, you can find it there. Okay, fantastic. Is it on Audible? It is, yeah. We have an audiobook version for sure. Very good, because that's uh, you know we got a we got a lot of busy people driving around all the time. So, Michael, thank yeah. you so much for being on the show again, and uh, hope to have you back sometime again in the near future. My pleasure, Buck, and uh, best of luck with the podcast. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. That was a fun conversation for me, and uh, you know maybe. I could be convinced that entrepreneurship might not be uh, completely a genetic thing, although I still think it has a strong prevalence towards at least being open to it. I think there's a strong, strong element of that. But hopefully, uh, you know, in reading Michael's book, you get an opportunity to, you know, to test my theory. And if you've always wanted to be an entrepreneur, maybe it gives you a little extra kick in the right direction. You know, Come to think of it, you know, the book that did it for me was uh, Robert Kiyosaki's Cashflow Quadrant. So, you know, I wasn't uh, looking for opportunities. I wasn't thinking of myself as an entrepreneur uh, during that period. So it's quite possible that there is some sort of trigger and maybe Michael's figured it out. Anyway, hope you enjoyed the show. That's it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. This is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Buck Joffrey here from Sapio with Buck Joffrey. Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.